you know, kind of hit me during that. I don't feel like I'm doing right by this or giving it enough attention. Can I ask you a favor? I'm just going to put some of you on the spot, but I won't do it individually. I'll do it collectively. If you are sporting like the Christmas wear here today, can you just stand up for a moment? We'd love to like revel in your glory. All right? Who are you? All right. I think next year we need to have like, like, like a contest for best dressed and another for like most hideously, you know, outfitted or something. I don't know. Think about it. Let me know if you'd like that. Um, okay. He says yes. It's on. It's on. <laughs> I want to take you back into the story that John is telling about Jesus. John is one of Jesus' 12 apostles, and he's the last of those that are alive at this point. And... Near the end of his life, he writes a story. And the story is about Jesus. It's about what Jesus did and what Jesus said. And, and more importantly, how Jesus understood his purpose and his mission. And at some fundamental level, who he even is. And, and the whole point of this story is that Jesus transformed John's life. And he wants Jesus to transform our lives as well. And so he tells us Jesus' story with the hopes that will make it our story. Because God has a story, and when God's story becomes our story, John says that's when life happens. And so we pick up in that story today at chapter 9. Now, last week, we put a... Uh, passage up on the screen. It's the Feast of Tabernacles. It's this amazing holiday that revolves itself around darkness that's coming over the the land as we know it because of the time of year. A harvest as people are bringing in the final crop like Thanksgiving. Light shows as people, uh, uh, the Jews are lighting up these, these things and of course burning underwear. All of this comes together as part of this feast called Tabernacles. And in the middle of this Christmas light show display, this is what Jesus gets up and says. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me, will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Transport yourself for a moment to the most blazing kind of light show that you can imagine. Maybe something spectacular lit up by a city, like a whole city square or street lit up with Christmas tree lights everywhere. Maybe Trans-Siberian Orchestra, maybe something else. I don't know. Imagine some kind of light show, light beyond light, and Jesus standing there in the middle of it. And standing up and proclaiming to everyone in the stadium, to everyone in the street, to everyone to be heard, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. We see Jesus say it in chapter 8. Chapter 9, it's a case study. What we see in chapter 9 is how this actually works out in play in someone's life. So what I'd like you to do is turn there with me. I'm going to read you the story today, but there's some details that I want to point out to you along the way. There's Bibles under your chairs if you like a hard copy. 
I personally prefer it right on my phone. Any number of Bible apps work. I like you version. And join me, if you will, at John chapter 9. Let's see it. Let's see how this works in play, in practice. Still the Feast of Tabernacles. After Jesus says these words, it says he went along. And he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Now pause. I want to pause there just for a minute because this is a passage that's always bothered me. If I'm reading it correctly, and for most of my life I thought I was, it kind of sounds like this. Jesus is walking along, his disciples are in tow, they see this man, this man is blind, and this man has been born blind, he's been steeped in it from birth, and the disciples are asking why. And their mindset, it can't be random, there has to be a reason If God is good and God is loving and God is all-powerful, there has to be some kind of orchestration behind this. So, So obviously God has to be behind it in some kind of way. And they ask the question based from that place. So so who messed up here? Who sinned? Who who got on God's bad side that he has to suffer like this? Why is God punishing him like this? Who sinned? Jesus. Is he blind because it's his fault or is it something that His parents are being punished for and he's carrying the weight. You ever ask questions like that? And even if you don't like how they sound, you ever wonder about questions like that, fear questions like that, think about things like that? I know a lot of people that wrestle with that and wonder that. And I guess it makes sense. If God is good and God is loving and God is all-powerful, then certainly it seems that there should be a reason and trying to figure it out in the face of just suffering or hurt. Blindness. Like this guy finds himself steeped in. But I love Jesus' answer. And I think it's worth restating. No, neither this man nor his parents sinned. But this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. Now, straight up, I wish the second phrase wasn't there. I wish he would have just stopped it with period. At least most of my life, neither this man nor his parents sinned. So there must be some other reason. But then Jesus goes on to give an alternate reason. And it's that alternate reason that's often bothered me. Because when you read it, doesn't it sound like this? Well, this guy didn't sin, but God wanted to make himself look good, so he set a guy up for failure so he could do some good work in his life to get some glory. Kind of reads that way, doesn't it? Or feel that way? And and can I just ask, does that like does that light you up? (laughs) Do you do you you like that? Because I don't. 
Now, at some fundamental level, I have learned that God is God and I am not, and I've got to humble myself before him. That God is God and I am not, and God can do whatever he wants. And so at some fundamental level, I have had to learn that if God wants to set me up, if God wants to allow or bring harm into my life in some kind of way for his purpose and glory. He's God, I'm not, I'm his. He can do with it he wants with his own property. And I guess I just need to submit to him in that. But I'd be lying to you if I said it didn't bother me. Maybe it bothers you too, but I want to pause here in the story and give it some time because I think there is a better way. I read to you in the NIV, 1984. If you read an NIV in the church copy, it's an 84 as well. If you read an NIV in a more recent copy, it's the 2011. You don't care, but it does actually matter, and maybe it was a different translation. But I bet it says something like this. Just what I read. This seemed to happen because God wanted to do some kind of work in him to show people his glory. But there's another valid way of translating this that goes like this. Neither this person nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But so that the work of God might be displayed in his life, we must do the work of him who sent me while it is day. Does it feel different to you? It gives it a whole different nuance, doesn't it? God is not in the practice of setting people up for failure to make himself look good. God, in contrast, sees the suffering of people, which often has nothing to do with who sinned or any kind of injustice or wrong in their life. God looks at the suffering of people and doesn't see it as a tool to make himself look good. God sees the suffering of people and wants to do something about it. This is what it means when Jesus says, I am the light of the world. God does not come to bring darkness. God does not come to inflict blindness. God comes to bring light to those who are suffering. And I think this second way of reading it is so much better. The story goes on. Having said this, I'm in verse five, six, excuse me. He spat on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Now, straight up, couldn't Jesus just said, you're healed? <laughs> but that's not how Jesus rolls. If you can spit in the mud and wipe it on people, you're going to do it if you're Jesus, all right? So he spits in the mud, and he, and he makes this paste, and he rubs it in the man's eyes, and he goes, go, wash in the pool of Siloam. And John points out this word means scent. 
So the man went and washed and came home sealing. So what we see is that the man who is sent by God, Jesus, sends a man to a pool named Sent in order to be healed. John loves that kind of stuff in his storytelling. But the man sees. And his neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging by the roadside, they started asking, wait, isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. But the man himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes open, they demanded. And he replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash, so I went and washed, and then and there I could see. Where's this man? They asked him. I don't know, he said. Now the story goes on. Like all of John's stories, it moves from this amazing, unexplainable thing that Jesus does that brings light into someone's life and then moves on to show how people respond. Take a look at this. Verse 13, they brought to the Pharisees that man who had been healed, the man who was blind. Now the day in which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. Well, he put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man Jesus is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, How can a sinner do such miraculous signs? And so they were divided. Finally, they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. Look what the man replied. He's a prophet. But the Jews still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son, they asked? Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it now that he can see? Well, we know he's our son, the parents answered, and we know that he was born blind, but how he can now see, or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He's of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews, for already the Jews had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Christ would be put out of the synagogue. That's why his parents said, he is of age, ask him. A second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God, they said. We know this man, Jesus, is a sinner. To which the man who was born blind replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I've told you already and you didn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? So they hurled insults at him and they said, You are this fellow's disciple. We're disciples of Moses. 
We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this man, Jesus, we don't even know where he comes from. To which the blind man answered, now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly man who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And to this, the Pharisees replied, you are steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Now Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when Jesus found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man said, tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking to you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Jesus said, for judgment I have come into the world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this, and they said, what, are we blind too? And Jesus answered, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. So back to the line. I am the light of the world, Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You know what I love about Jesus? He doesn't just talk a big game. He backs up what he says. Lots of people make grandiose statements about life and reality and even what they could do. What's different about Jesus as it isn't just talk about it. He does it. Jesus doesn't just stand up at a light festival going, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. He actually brings light into a person's life. He actually comes to this person's life. This man born blind, this beggar, and he gives him light to see. But through this parable, through this story, we see a parable. And this is what I really want you to focus on today. The story is about so much more than just a blind man being able to see. Because what plays out in this story, if you think about it, is that this man's physical blindness starts to become a symbol for spiritual blindness. And as this man comes into contact with Jesus, he isn't just healed physically, he's healed spiritually. He isn't just able to see, he's finally able to see. And likewise, it's a parable of spiritual darkness. That oftentimes those who are blind can see the clearest. And those who see so clearly 
fail to see. In John chapter 9, we have a deeper meaning, I think, coming out that John wants you to see, that there's something more going on here than the story of a blind man who can see. But what it means to see spiritually. So here's the takeaway. Do you want to see? John 9's answer to that question is this. Trust Jesus. Put in your lot with him. Do life in him, with him. See yourself and the world and who he claims to be from his eyes. Do you want to be blind? Insist on believing whatever you want to believe. Try to conform everything Jesus says to what you want to believe. Do things your own way. Trust him when it's convenient. Interpret your life in Jesus and God and the world from a different perspective or state of being. See, this whole story of this man born blind, it becomes, if you will, kind of a model for everyone who comes to believe in Jesus. Think about it. And think about how the story played out. A man who didn't really know Jesus or maybe simply by some vague reputation or name suddenly hears his words. A man hears the words of Jesus and experiences something from Jesus in his life and he's changed. He doesn't quite know how to explain it He doesn't know all the details of what's going on, but something he knows is different. He witnesses to Jesus. He shares what happened in his life. He doesn't try to explain it. He doesn't try to theologize it. He doesn't try to prove it. He just says, this happened to me. As he does, It's questioned. Because stuff like this doesn't happen, or it doesn't make sense, or people can't wrap their mind around it. But he doesn't back off the truth of that reality. He hangs in there with Jesus. He insists no, this actually happened to me. I'm not crazy. I'm not on drugs. I'm not making it up. He's challenged further. He's questioned. He doesn't claim to have all the answers. He doesn't even know a lot of the answers. He doesn't even know a lot about Jesus himself, but he knows that Jesus helped me see. He's tested. He's threatened. You can call it persecuted if you like. And he has a choice to make. Do I vacillate? Do I give in? Do I throw Jesus under the bus? Or do I stay loyal to him? And the man does. And as a result, his faith grows. 
His loyalty to Jesus grows. His understanding of who Jesus actually is starts to come into focus more clearly. He faces some of the repercussions. A family that doesn't know how to deal with him. Others who cast him out. The ramifications of social isolation, being an outsider. Persecution. In the broadest sense of the term, martyrdom. But what we see through every stage is that something in the man increases. So that by the end of the story, for the man, Jesus is everything. I submit to you today that this is a window into the journey of anyone who comes to experience Jesus as the light of the world. John 9 gives us a model. More than healing, we see in the man a growing understanding and embrace of Jesus and regardless of his eyes, he starts to see. Let me show you this this morning. Look at the man's journey to faith. Did you catch this? At the start of the story, when he's asked about what happened in his life, it happened from this man they call Jesus. He doesn't know Jesus by anything other than a name alone. There's this man, the man they call Jesus. He healed me. But as he's pushed to think about it more, to consider it more, to consider what happened in his life, it grows somewhere. By 917, he starts to realize, no, this man, Jesus, I think he's a prophet. By 922, he starts to realize, no, this man, Jesus, more than a prophet, he's even the Messiah. By 933, this Messiah, he's literally sent from God. By 935, you are the divine son of man that the scriptures foretold. And by 938, he is on his knees worshiping him as God himself. Because following Jesus is a process. It's not about having it all figured out. It's about, realize, it's about hearing the words of Jesus and experiencing something he does in your life and simply responding to it. And the more the man responds, the more he starts to see. It's easy to experience the power of God in your life. Believe me, it is. What's often more confusing and subtle for people, I think, is not just seeing what happened, but seeing. Life with Christ is a journey. It's an overplayed cliche, but it is. It's a process. It's a process of coming to see more and more clearly because life puts you on a trajectory. I believe that an underlying message of the Bible is that there is no such thing as a static human being. No one sits in one place and stays there. No one is neutral, if you will. No, you're on a path, you're on a journey towards God or away from him. 
And as a result, toward sight or blindness, toward seeing more clearly or missing what's right before your eyes. Because the choices that you make and the decisions that you enter into as you're on that journey sets the course of where your path will take you. Not that you're foreordained to be destined to that path for all time, but make no mistake, there is a path being laid out and it is easy to walk along the path being laid before you. A path towards God propagates itself as you walk that direction and seeing the light more clearly. A path away from God distances you more and darkens what you may have at one point been in part able to see. The longer you trust, the clearer it gets. The more you drift, the darker God becomes. We see in John chapter 9, a story of a man born blind being able to see. But we see another story as well of those who are able to see living in blindness. We see a man who couldn't see Jesus at all, but heard Jesus' words and responded to Jesus and it resulted in him being able to see. We see other people, these religious leaders who are able to see Jesus so clearly, but they refuse to believe what he says about himself and though with perfectly functioning eyes cannot see him for who he truly is at all. And as we watch the story unfold, hopefully we realize what John is saying is I too gotta choose. How am I going to respond to Jesus? Because the answer to that question depends and determines what you'll see. At the end of the story, Jesus says this. I'm hitting the wrong button, sorry. So we're getting a tour here again. Here we go. For judgment I've come into the world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. It's an invitation. It's an invitation, I think, John and behind him, Jesus, is giving to us all. And so I want to encourage you to look at Jesus for who he claims to be. To witness to him. To stand by the truth of what he's done in your life. To remain loyal when it's challenged. To not vacillate when you don't have all the answers to your questions. I believe what John chapter 9 is showing us is that a person who puts themselves on that journey of life, it'll be like the blind who will see, or what John calls life. It's also a warning. A warning to those of us who may have started by looking at Jesus, but now we're looking at other things. A warning to those of us who have become more in love with our idea of Jesus than who Jesus claims to be himself.
A warning to those of us who insist that Jesus fits our mold rather than fitting ourself to his mold. It's a warning that it leads to blindness. It's a parable. It's a parable of the spiritual journey of every human being. Like it or not, we're all on the journey. We're all on this journey, either stumbling in the dark or heading towards light. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. What you're looking for, let me show it to you. I'm going to help you see. You're going to find it to me. That's what, that's what it's about. So I'm going to invite you to rise. Ben, you come on up. I think of these stories when Jesus comes along someone like this blind man and how often Jesus kind of starts with the question, do do, do you want to see? How so many times people come before Jesus and they realize all too clearly that they're struggling with something deep inside. Lord, I want to see. Help me to see. Lord, I believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. We all wrestle with this. But God's there in the midst of it, giving light. So we're going to take a time right now and it's just to pray. Maybe you need some of God's light in your life. Ask for it today. Maybe you feel like you're not able to see the truth of God all that clearly. Ask him. Ask him to see today. Maybe you're wrestling with what it's all about. The story of Jesus is about the biggest and most deepest questions of life. Well, pray to him about that today. Maybe you realize the darkness in your own life. And maybe it's simply saying, Jesus, I ask you to shine your light in that today. Whatever it is, God loves it when you talk to him. So let's pray. Lord, I think of I think of stories of people from the beginning. People described as lingering in darkness, but yearning for the light to dawn. For those of us who have experienced true darkness, Lord, we know the hunger and the longing for that light. You are the light of the world. Shine on us. May your light shine in the darkness. May we remember that the darkness cannot overcome it. Give us eyes to see who you are, what you're doing, what life is about. Give us eyes to see ourselves, our state of being, 
corruption of soul, our mixed motives, our disdain and apathy and even outright rebellion. Give us eyes to see ourselves clearly as well as you and against the reflection of who you are to see all more clearly the sinners we happen to be. Help us to see that God did not send you to condemn the world but to save the world through you. So hear our prayer as we pray. Hear our confession as we join together. Most merciful God, we confess that we are by nature sinful and unclean. We have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole hearts. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We justly deserve your presence and eternal punishment. But for the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. Forgive us, renew us, lead us, so that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. God sent his Son, sent from heaven, to be like us, to face what we face, to live in a world often shrouded in darkness, to come face to face with the powers of darkness that be. God has sent his son for you into whatever darkness you have, whatever darkness you experience. God has sent his son to you to shine light and show you the way. May you know his light. May you bask in his light. May you revel in it. May you know his forgiveness, his mercy, and his grace. May you see that by his death on the cross, that something, something so many others miss, may you see that you are forgiven. Adopted as children of God. in his kingdom. Walk by that light today.